Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and you're tuned in to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning and a welcome back to Virginia Haywood. Good morning, Virginia. Hi, Pam. Lovely to be back. I adore autumn. (laughs) I love those mists in the morning. Yes. The feeling of dampness in the air. Yep. When I was a Londoner, I hated dampness in the air. I bet. But now I'm Australian again, I adore it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and you've, been, you've been having all sorts of adventures. Yes, Mexico and Hawaii. Wow. One desert, the other rainforest. Okay. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, you might as well have the full contrast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. Oh, fantastic. We're going to hear a bit more about it a bit later. We've got to also say a very good morning to John Arnott. Good morning, John. Pam, how are you going? Not too bad. Good, good. Yes. Autumn is good. It is. Autumn is a really nice time of year, isn't it? Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it feels, well, I was going to say it feels like proper autumn now, but I think it's going to be 27 or 29 on Wednesday. It's it's a bit mad. It doesn't know what it's doing. No, no. But what is good is that the length of the night means there is that moisture in the air. Yeah, exactly. And I had three inches in my rain gauge. Really? Oh, really? Oh, that's thrilling. fabulous. That was over over a whole week. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, that's fabulous. I know. We've I was had so excited. Nothing like that in the southeast. Yeah. Nothing like that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I was very excited. Yeah. <laughs> I did a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's a it's a terrific time of year. It's a nice time of year to garden. Yes. Isn't it? It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Those those cool mornings, sunny days. Yep. Um. Yeah. The the. the, the we, have, we held an event during the week um, called Botanica. Okay. Uh, it was a lovely event. Um, and it's it just that, that beautiful, gentle sun, sunshine, UV moderate index. And, yes. You know, you can be out of doors and not have to arm yourself with hats and sunscreens and to, to the same extent anyway. Yep, yeah. yep. And also the sun gets up at the right time. So you can, the sun comes up, yeah. you get up. <laughs> <laughs> and that did make a big difference. I really <laughs> like it when um, daylight... You know, there's some benefits to that daylight savings, but for someone that gets on their bike at half past six of the morning... It's a real, at the, at the end, of the very end of the season coming it, into April. It's so late now. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. it is it's just, the changeover is too late. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, it used to be, was it the last weekend in March, March. was the trigger? That's yeah. right. Yeah. And they changed it for the Olympics or something, didn't no, they? Or no, the, the Grand Prix. The Grand Prix. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hate that event. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not a huge rat. Oh, I hate it. When it's on... All round here, you just hear this. It sounds like there's huge hornets flying. Mosquitoes. It's horrible. Yep. Oh, well. It is what it is. It's good for the town, apparently. Oh, and the the economy. And the economy. Don't forget the economy. What, what, What is really good for the town is the Australian Open. You know, yes. just in terms of international sporting events. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't think you can compare, can you? Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> I, I really like the Australian Open. Yeah. And the Australian yeah. Open doesn't cost us as much as the Grand Prix. No. Mm-hmm. No. Good point. So daylight savings, the, the extension was because of the car race. There you go. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. Morning, Graham. Good morning, everybody out there in listener land and all the panel in here this morning. 
Um, that's interesting about that little conspiracy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I get up early in the morning, and, and actually I've been watering plants by torch. Can you, can you imagine that? I've been watering pots. Yeah, yeah how crazy. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I do that to get my watering done yep. because we share it in the family. And then I go and meet with a bunch of old fellows in Kilmore. All right. And we sit down, and I'm, I'm amazed at the wisdom that's amongst that bunch of old fellows. Yeah. There's a shearer. A fellow who's got a courier service, another nice. bloke's a farmer, another guy who has been a business advisor for about the last 40 years of his whole life, and it's amazing what can be discussed and talked about, but we haven't, haven't in any way revolutionised our political system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talking about old, old folks getting together, I was just, just hearing on the radio before, um, Cobar over this weekend had a, a grey Mardi Gras. Oh, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just such like a lovely that. term. Yeah. A grey Mardi Gras. Grey Mardi Gras. <laughs> yeah, so maybe what you're doing with your mates just on a bigger scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We set the trend first. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, where is where is Cobar? Uh, I think southern Queensland. Right. Yeah, or I think it's Queensland. Oh. Yeah. Mm. More desert for you, Virginia. More desert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what's Cobar famous for? Is it mining? I, I, I'm not sure. I, yeah. I don't really know much is about it. Is it opals? Could be opals. I have a feeling yeah. it's opals. Could be opals, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. There you go. Here we go. Okay. We, we could have got that completely wrong. It could be New South Wales and it could be <laughs> famous for, I don't know, dairy. <laughs> don't think so. Don't think so. No, okay. no don't. So, yeah, John, you, you just happened to drop a word, Botanica, yeah. in passing. Tell us a bit about it. So what happened? Botanica is an event that the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria runs both at the Melbourne Gardens and at the Cranbourne Gardens. And it's essentially, it's essentially nature play. Yep. Uh, but uh, with a little bit more, with a few more, um, few more elements. Okay. Uh, a few more. So, so it's um, uh, over weeks and weeks and weeks. The staff at the Melbourne Gardens and the Cranbourne Gardens put aside their green waste, um, and it gets dropped into an area of the gardens. In the case of the Cranbourne Gardens, it was on the Ian Potter Lakeside lawn. Okay. The area gets fenced off. Right. Uh, and then um, the the premise is that kids and families come along and build a village out of the loose materials. So, so it's making cubbies. <laughs> it's making cubbies, but it's making cubbies sort of next level. Okay. <laughs> they and get competitive, do oh, they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, and look, it's a, it's a really lovely, really lovely event because it's, it, it's providing opportunities for that interaction with nature. Um, but using some really interesting plant material. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out to the special collections and collected banksias and uh, dryandras and some really interesting proteaceae and um, you know, all manner of really sort of interesting textural foliage and, and flowering plants. Um, and then they get arranged as, as the kids see f- fit to do. Okay. Um, and, yeah, it's like really nice. We had... I think we've had a, two and a half thousand people come through to, to, to run the event. It, it finished yesterday. Right. Um, but it, it, yeah, it started, so it's a school holiday act, yes, a, a, yes. activity. But uh, yeah, it was just really a really lovely thing. Have, did you see, have you seen Botanica at the Melbourne Gardens? Well, not, not this year because I was away. I right. missed Mythcus, I missed that. I mean, going away at the beginning of autumn is a bit silly, really, because it's a really interesting time. For gardening, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it was a 
family thing and it just so I went. But you know, myth, I didn't want to miss Myth because I didn't want to miss Botanica. And of course, there's been quite a lot of other events. There have been things happening. Oh, there happening. have been a lot. Yeah, yeah things yeah. happening in the Yarra Valley. Like today's the last day of Kabloom at um, Tesla, you, it's, which I always go to because yeah. they're close to me and I like them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but. What do you do? That's right. And I love the way the Botanic Gardens are so good at being innovative with kids. I mean, the children's garden is extraordinary. You know, they love it. Mm. And there's nothing in there that's sort of... They don't don't have their implements and, you know, and their phones. And, I mean, the the parents do. You see these parents standing there endlessly on their phones. But the kids don't. And it's so nice to see children playing with, with... Things that come that are alive or have been yes. alive. Uh, isn't that the lovely thing about gardens? Is that you know you don't. Uh, uh, there's been a bit of a push for interpretation to be based on uh, apps and screens and, and things like that, and, and there's a bit of pushback for that for, mm. uh, for botanic gardens because we don't need virtual reality in a in a garden space. We've got reality. You reality. You've got we've absolute got, reality. <laughs> we've got reality in. And there is a push in, for that. There is a push for that. You don't need guides. You just have an app. Yeah. No. Ridiculous. I, I think that's hit the point of diminishing returns with, with respect to technology. I really do. Um, and that's why events like Botanica are just just so really nice. So they're, 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 they're structured. Um, some of the other elements of Botanica was, um, you know, big piles of Lamandra, longifolia, just sitting on the ground. Right. Um, and then um, uh, we've, we've got um, uh, Jaffa, who's one of our indigenous interpretation people, showing people how to how to how to do weaving. Okay. And and these kids sitting down with Jaffa for you know, a long time. Right. Forty-five minutes, an hour, hour and a half. Wow. Weaving. Wow, so Just that really sitting, held their attention. Really held their attention. Yeah. We got some of the red sand, you know, the, the, yes. the kind of iconic red sand of yes. the Kramer Gardens, and we had a little sort of boomerang-shaped um, uh, sand pit with, with red sand. Okay. And, uh, and again, all these loose materials um, and glue guns, and, and, and the kids could make little creatures out of, that, out of the loose materials. Okay. So little Banksia cones and you know, yes. sticks and stuff yep. like that. And, yep. and it was just completely unstructured. And, uh, and then they, they would get named. They could put a little name tag onto, onto the creature that they've just made and arrange it in the red sand. So at the end of the, the event, it was a menagerie of, of all these beautiful little creatures that wow. were made by the kids. Okay. Big bad Banksia <laughs> Big bad Banksia <laughs> men and all of that. It was just, it, it was a really lovely event. Oh, yeah. that's great. You know, quite, quite a soulful event, really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good. Now, this, this also um, seems to link in with, I know... Um, the Botanic Gardens are also trying to introduce nature play for seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, are you doing that at Cranbourne as well? Uh, yeah, we, we, we've actually got um, the, the gardens have got a partnership with uh, Regis, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a, really, it's a really interesting collaboration with, uh, with, with Regis. And all manner of um, programs are being run through the, 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 the partnership with, with Regis. Um, some of it you could loosely call nature play, or just it's about you know, connecting people of all. Ages. Ages and demo- It's that whole demographic yes. um, thing. Yes. It's that McDonald's, you know, the, the, the birth to death <laughs> thing. <laughs> Botanic Gardens are exactly the same thing. We, we, we're, we, we should be and have to be accessible to, you know, all elements of our, of our constituent community. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really nice that we're engaging, you know, the bookends. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. But, I mean, there's been so much research done on... Um, Things like forest bathing and, yep. and how um, 
you know, just, just connecting with nature is so good for our, our well-being and our mental health. And, yep. um, you know, so this is just really building on that, isn't it? And with you know, urbanisation and, you know, increasing housing density and, you know, all of the stuff which is happening around us, our green spaces become um, so important. Oh. For, 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 the, for the sanctuary, for the, for the, you know, the health and well-being. And exactly. That, and the, the, the place, the, 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 the sanctuary, mm. you know. Mm. And well, out, out in the suburbs, we're having to defend <coughs> that very heavily because yep. councils keep trying to erode that away. Yeah. And we need the trees for the oxygen. Absolutely. Just so badly. Yes. And the cool. and, and the councils love that development because it's more rates. Money. Oh, yes, yeah. money. <laughs> Got a four-storey building and think about the... Multiplicity of all the rates from those apartment r- residences. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And they're building them now without without car parking spaces. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, yes. it's extraordinary, isn't it? And and when you think about the role, just the role of trees, it, it, it's producing oxygen, yes. sequestering carbon, providing shade and comfort, cooling. You know, that's a pretty extraordinary. It is, it is so basic, isn't it? You know, the, uh, this, there was something kicking around on the internet. Wouldn't it be fantastic if someone could invent something that's to, that can deal with carbon in, in the atmosphere? <laughs> trees. <laughs> it's called a tree. <laughs> we don't need to invent it. It's there. It's we just need to plant more. And stop knocking them down. <coughs> exactly. The, I mean, in northern Australia, in Queensland and New South Wales, they're still deforesting. I know. Incredible. It's extraordinary, doesn't it? It is amazing. And we're all so self-righteous in Australia about how good we are. And in actual fact, we're appalling. We're one of the worst in the world on Mm. some of these things. Mm. Mm. But, but, uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a role working in the public realm to try and um, uh, communicate stories about biodiversity and communicate stories about the importance of our green spaces. Mm. Yeah, that's our role. We're custodians. Yes. We're in a privileged position to be, able, to be able to facilitate that connection with nature. And, mm. and, and last week we did that with, you know, um, uh, little kitties. And you never know, the next um, David Bellamy could be the... Could be one of those. One of them. Mm. Yeah, could have tri- right. tri- triggered the next Suzuki or Bellamy. Or, exactly. Mm. You know, you just don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the message doesn't seem to be getting out to the wider community. It still seems to be the ones that all already know, that already believe, that are coming along to these events. I don't know how much we're actually reaching out and changing other people's perceptions. Nice that just a, 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 had a couple of conversations with some people that were at the gardens for the first time. Okay. So potentially through like um, you know mothers, mother and you know, kids net, kids networks. Yes. Um, that whole. Because there's this whole phenomenon on Facebook with, um, you know, um, uh, I can't think of what the term is, but uh, mothers' groups effect- effectively. Yes. Like if you, there's a collective mothers' group, which is a really powerful thing. Mm. Um, and the, our promotion sort of found, it found its way into that group. So, oh, so I okay. think there might have been a number of people, a number of families that were attending the gardens for the first time because of that event. Right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because there's also been quite a strong movement in some areas towards um, bush schools. Mm. Bush kinder. Bush kinder. Yep. Yes. I mean, I'm even seeing it in, in Eltham. Once a, once a week we see a whole group from the local kinder um, come out into, into the the local park, and they spend the whole morning doing things like what you've been describing, yeah. you know, creating huts and, yeah, yeah. And, and looking at nature and seeing if they can find any, any exciting insects or, or other creatures. Yeah. And so it, it, it is taking a, place a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I took a walk this week and I had six people um, from America and Britain. They didn't know each other. Right. And they, they were all middle-aged or a bit older and they just got into such an amazing discussion about global warming. I was just gobsmacked. I was okay. really surprised. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and they were, you know, they, they were all here for touristy-type reasons. Mm. One was the wife of somebody who was here for a conference and... Another was a, a, a husband of a different conference, and, yep. you know, and they just got. I, I was really surprised at just how much conversation was being had by these people. What was the trigger? Right. Was it? Do you think the Melbourne Gardens and the the, the the environment of the Melbourne Gardens, the landscape succession plan? What was the trigger that triggered it, the conversation? It wasn't the succession plan because I hadn't got round to mentioning that. I think um, they, one of the questions was how come we've got such green lawn? Okay. Okay. Uh, because and were we wasting water? <laughs> well, no. No? They didn't, because being British and, you know, American, they didn't have as strong a water concept as okay. we did. But they did because they'd seen a lot of dry. Yes. And I started talking about how the role of the gardens in part is to give people who either live in flats or live in places with really small gardens somewhere to go, and mm. it's really important to keep the grass green, mm. and that there had been a... Dis- a discussion during our last drought about horticulture cutting back on water usage and really one had to think of the usage of the gardens you know there so that was probably my response yeah, nice. to that question nice. led yes. to but it just kept going yeah. I mean we walked for two hours wow. Wow. one of those walks I'm only meant to do um, an hour or an hour and a half but they just wanted to keep going you, yep. o- you overachieved <laughs> <laughs> well I had to with that I had to take them to the grey garden didn't of course, I of course, of course, <laughs> and yeah. explain about grey yeah, yes, exactly. in the environment and where you find gra- when you find grey leaves and Fabulous. how this bit of the garden is the driest and the hottest bit of the garden exactly yes. I, I can remember visiting the Horsham Botanic Gardens at the right at the end of the millennium drought and the Horsham Gardens main, they, they've continued to irrigate um, so the, the Horsham Gardens was literally the green oasis mm. um, and there was uh, lots of it was anecdotal at the time but lots of anecdotal evidence um, that the, the Horsham Gardens was the place that people would come in from the, from, from the bush and just come sit and have a picnic with the family yeah and the the it's that same that same thing, Pam. It's the yes. the, the well-being and the mental health and exactly. the, you know being immersed in 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 green. Yes. Um, just as a respite almost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's and 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 it, you know a memory. Oh yes, the drought will break. And yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> yeah, you, know. yeah. you do. I mean, at the end of summer in our gardens, you know, sometimes I'll. Just before I went away, I was walking around and I was, you know, I'm away, I'm in Mexico and I'm waking up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, I wonder if it's rained. Mm. Isn't that it? Yeah, you know, that's right. Because my I did exactly the same thing this week because mm. I've, I've been up in northern New South Wales and I must say, flying over from, from Melbourne up to Coolangatta and then driving back down into northern New South Wales, it was so, uh, probably the driest, the brownest mm. I have ever seen Victoria and then suddenly... You hit northern New South Wales, Queensland, and it was starkly emerald green. (laughs) I mean, the contrast was just incredible, Mm. really incredible. And so I automatically, my thinking turned to, oh, is there any rain in Melbourne? (laughs) (laughs) My poor garden, I hope. (laughs) And luckily I'd heard that that, that we'd had a little bit of rain, so that was good, all good. But yeah. yeah. Okay, I must get to a few community announcements, and uh, then we really must open up our talkback lines for our listeners. But a couple of things that are on, firstly today, 
um, if you haven't got any plans for the day. A couple of things on. If you're down in the uh, Geelong area, Geelong Botanic Gardens have got a guided uh, themed walk uh, on this afternoon. It's termed uh, the First Australians. It's looking at um, Aboriginal people um, depending on native plants and animals for all necessities and managing the limited resources very well. So you'll learn all about the ways they use plants for food, fibre, medicine, weapons, transport, musical instruments and religious ceremonies. Meet the guide at Geelong Botanic Gardens Front Steps uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon and entry is a gold coin donation. Now, the other, the other event that's on this afternoon, or on today, I should say, from 10 o'clock through to 4.30, in fact, is that uh, Open Gardens Victoria have got a very special garden open today. This is Denira. It's in Officer Lane up in Mount Beauty. Uh, Mount, Mount Macedon. Mount Macedon. I'm going a bit <laughs> further north, aren't I? Mount Macedon. So it is on today. 10 till 4.30. Entry is $10. Children under 18 are free. And uh, this is one for um, autumn colouring because uh, Denira is known for its wonderful luminous autumn colours there. So uh, it, uh, it was established in 1872. It's an English-style garden, as I mentioned, simply stunning in autumn. The 16 acres of gardens, um, they're considered to be of outstanding cultural significance by the National Trust of Australia. Several of the trees are listed on the Register of Significant Trees of Victoria. And uh, there's uh, just so much to see. There really is up there. So if you've got nothing planned, I strongly recommend that you, uh, you head up to Mount Macedon and have a look at those gardens. Um, there's also orchards of stone fruit. There's groves of hazelnut and chestnut at the rear of the property. There's llamas there. Um, there's just so much to see for that garden. So as I say, the address is Officer Lane, Mount Macedon, 10am through to 4.30 today. Now, um, just a couple of other things coming up. Um, there's not much happening. I've got about two more, I think, to mention. So firstly, um, Cranbourne Friends uh, of uh, the Geelong Botan uh, the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens have got um, one of their wonderful um, talk come workshops coming up on Sunday the 28th of April. It's entitled Australian Plants as Weeds and this is with Jeff Carr. Now it starts at 1.30 uh, for a cup of tea and with a two o'clock start for the talk. It will be located in the Australian Auditorium, Cranbourne Gardens. Entry to the gardens is at the corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. Cost is a gold coin donation on entry and uh, it's a question, trying to answer a question that is frequently asked, how can Australian plants be weeds because they're native? Mm. John, I'm sure you'd like to oh, yes, enter that debate. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Australian plants can clearly be, be weeds because, I mean, you think about uh, you bring something from another part of Australia mm. and whilst it's an Australian plant, it's, uh, it's a non-local native. Yes. Um, think about... Kutamundra. Kutamundra wattle. Um, think about Petosporum undulatum. Yes, um, has taken a, a, a stronghold um, mm. throughout much of southeastern Australia. And and it is a Victorian plant, but it's still a weed around in the Yarra Valley. Uh, absolutely, I mean it occurs. It's natural distribution. You know, it's 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 eastern Victoria. Uh, the extent of east, I'm not really sure, but 
um, it's, it, it, I think it's well beyond the McAllister River. Yes. Um, but it, it, eastern Victoria, planted as a garden plant. Mm. Of the, the native Daphne, why wouldn't you? It's such a gorgeous plant. Mm. Fantastic scent, beautiful orange berries, ornamental tree, drought tolerant. Mm. Um, and the birds started moving it around and it germinated and it's colonised huge areas of southeastern Australia. Mm. Uh, Australian native plant, of course. Yes, but yeah. I, when people go on at me about how you should have a native garden and then and I say, well, what do you mean? And they say, well, you know, your plants all should be Australian. And I point out it's, it's only a matter, an accident of history that this continent is one country. If Western Australia was Dutch, Tasmania was French, well, then they'd be different countries. So would we, would we say, oh, you've got to have a continent garden, a garden that represents the continent, you know? So, yeah, that's I mean, when people say to me, oh, but you've got, you know, you, why have you planted those? Oh, so you should have more nasal. So I'll get some more New Zealand plants in. What do you mean? I said, well, it's closer than broom, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, certainly one of the big considerations that we make when we're um, uh, selecting plants for the Australian garden is to assess the weed potential yes. of the flora. Oh, and, it's essential. And, you know, there's a bunch of things that, mm. that if we just don't grow because mm. they're just too too weedy. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, I mean, not even talking natives, we've seen what's happened with, with other plants like olive trees. Mm. And, and in one part of Australia, they're fine. In another part of Australia, they've gone weedy. Yeah. So it, it's all about the, the, the huge spread of different climates within our one continent. And, and the, the move towards sort of um, more, uh, let's call them sustainable or water-conscious landscapes, um, has has potentially introduced a, a, a suite of new uh, and emerging weeds because these things that we're bringing into cultivation because they don't require a lot of water yep. um, can survive That's right. beyond the garden because they don't require a lot of That's wa- right. water. Yes. So we're finding that it's, you know th- that there's a there was a, a so many of our uh, weedy plants came out of horticulture escaped out of out of gardens. Mm. Um, of course, there's a, a thread of those which are Australian plants, but it's still happening today. Yes, we're still there's still plants escaping out of uh, out of our gardens that we're bringing into com- mm. um, or introducing into to, to, to areas as well. Mm. Um, and you know, Jeff's been Jeff Carr has been on on this mission for a long, long, long time. Mm. Um, uh, and look, it'll be a fascinating talk, Jeff. Yes. Jeff, he's he's the subject matter expert when it comes to to that topic. Excellent. Uh, and really committed and passionate about uh, about the topic. I think it'll be a great talk. Yep, yep. yep. So that's just repeating the details. That's 28th of April, 1:30 for a cuppa, two o'clock start uh, down in the Australian Auditorium at Cranbourne Gardens and gold coin donation on entry. So uh, I really do recommend that talk. It should be fascinating. And the final one that I need to mention, um, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got an illustrated talk coming up. This is by Betsy Sue Clark, uh, and the title of her talk is Designing Gardens to Support Emotional Healing. There you go. Yes. So um, Tuesday the 30th of April, 7 for a 7.30 start, and... um, Betsy Sue Clark is the director of Dirtscape Dreaming, known for groundbreaking work in gardens for emotional healing. Her passion for connecting people with nature and its nurturing and healing capacities has led her in many directions in her professional career. Among other things, in recent years, she's developed a variety of programs designed to support and educate landscape designers with an interest in healing gardens. So, uh, as I mentioned... It's Tuesday, 30th of April, 7 for a 7.30 start. 
you get nibbles at 7 o'clock. Cost is $10 if you're uh, a member of uh, the, uh, the group, $20 for non-members. Bookings are uh, essential for catering purposes. You can email friends.burnley at gmail.com or, um, yes, I don't, I don't have a, uh, a phone number for that one, but friends.burnley at gmail.com and parking is available there in the boulevard. Okay, it's more than high time we opened up our talkback lines for our listeners. If you'd like to join us this morning and ask a gardening question or have a comment to make, that anything we've been talking about, and don't forget, if you go to uh, the 3CR Gardening Show Facebook or Instagram page, you will see photographs of all the, all the, not only just the plants, but some of the events we've been talking about all up there so that you can actually see what we're talking about. Uh, so do give us a call. If you'd like to speak to Virginia, John or Graham, the number is 94190155. Or this morning, we have Carol on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Carol, 94198377. Virginia, let's make a start with a couple of your plants. Well, I've decided to go pink today. And I've brought in three things that have all got a really lovely soft pink flowers. One is a salvia. And it's one of the PGA have been breeding some really lovely flowers. And this is a Salvia Mirage soft pink. It's gorgeous. It is really pretty. Yeah. It is just such a, um, it's two-tone, cream and a really soft pink. And I'm not that mad on pink in the gardens, but I've decided to, you know, do a section. Because okay. Because it is... It is such, and of course, salvias. I mean, one of the things about Mexico, I saw salvias growing oh, wild. Yeah. Yeah, of course it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I always swear I won't bring in yet another salvia, but I have, you know. But it's, as I say, it is such a pretty one, and there are some really lovely ones coming, turning up in the nurseries at the moment that are um, not very big. This one will only grow, you know, knee high and are very hardy mm. and, you know, they're so good. They do, and I haven't found any of my salvias weedy, and I have found my salvias survive those bloody rabbits, which just create such havoc in my garden. They're pretty solid plants, aren't they, mm. as, a, as, a, as a group? You know, mm. flower for a long time, attract birds, uh, don't require additional, too much in the way of additional watering or fertilising them. I mean, they're really resilient and robust. And the and other thing I find with them is that this time, you know, at the end of summer, some of them are looking really ratty. Some, particularly some of the big leafed ones that have come from um, high Andes and, and high yes. Mexico. Yes. But they all come back. So in, in the winter time, Virginia, how far would you cut that back? Um. I tend to try and trim them, and I, I tend I don't only cut them in winter. I cut them whenever, mm-hmm. and that's just to stop them getting too leggy. I mm-hmm. cut to where I can see some growth, mm-hmm. and just go through. I'll cut a third off, and mm-hmm. if I've let them go the previous year, I'll cut half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do. I cut in some parts of the garden. They get hard, cut hard because I want them fairly small. Mm-hmm. Mm. Other parts, because my garden's so big, I, it just gets neglected. So, you, so you can really adjust them to what you want yes, in the garden. Yes. And we've had them growing in a, in, in around roses in our our garden. Mm. And we had some la- from last year. We never even pruned. Yes. But they've formed a, a canopy of nearly a metre high, and that also helps to protect the soil. Yes. Which exactly. is really fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. I I do try and you know cover my soil. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, I put mulch on it as well, but, you know, if I can get a thick enough cover of plants, I don't have to mulch that much. Mm. Exactly. There was a collection at the Geelong Botanic Gardens, and one of them got away as a weed. Oh, which one? one? I I can't recall. I've just done a quick Google search. But it's one of the basil-leafed, some of those basil-leafed tuberous. um, Mm. Oh, I know which one. Yeah. Jesna Floral. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. It hasn't got away for me. I mean, it hasn't escaped from my garden. But in my garden, it's a bloody thug. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, yes. It's moving around. Yeah. But, it's, mm. but it doesn't, hasn't gone to the paddocks yep. or, you know, even to mm. the grass. It yep. hasn't done that. But I can but travel in the garden. Mm. Okay. Because mm. it's got, yes, it's got nasty tubers. Yeah. Yep. And it goes it's underground. So one of those really persistent landscapes. Yes, things, right. Yeah. And it's one of the ones that the honey eaters... Absolutely. Mm. I was going to say, it's a real, they're real bird attracted. They really yeah. are. Oh, yeah. And bees. The honey mm. eaters just adore it. Yeah. Yep. And this is one of the other ones I've bought. I've just, it's not in flower. Oh, wow. But it's a pelagonium. That's gorgeous. Now, pelagoniums come from. Mm, beautiful. I think. Southern, Southern Africa and. Yes, Africa. There's 219 of the 270 species of pelagonium. Come yep. from South Africa and okay. neighbouring countries. Yep. Although we have them here as well. Yep. And this is just—it's the—it's such—it's a, a hybrid between two other South African hy- um, pelargoniums. Pelargoniums are called geraniums, but they're not. They're pelargoniums. And the difference—the the geranium actually comes from England and Europe, and stretching it down to Turkey. Uh, they're both in the same family, but geraniums are the red things that you think of when you think of Greece. Yes, mm. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so very drought tough, aren't they? Yes, yeah. very br- yeah. drought tough. And this one, I, I have a feeling, I looked and looked on, on um, my phone to last night to see if I could find it. I thought it has been bred in New Zealand because okay. New Zealand are breeding extraordinary plants. They're really, you know, where Britain used to massively breed special plants. Mm. Now they seem to be coming out of New Zealand. Mm. But I couldn't find any confirmation of that. Okay. Um, uh, the two parent plants are both talked about in the, in the South African websites. It is definitely from two South African plants, and I haven't seen it for years in the nursery. Okay. And when I saw it at the wholesalers the other day, I just grabbed it because yeah, I think it's, it's such a pre- it's got Because it's got quite a grey leaf, which makes a difference. Yes. Mm. And, and you, you're right, there, there are pelagonians in Australian, and geraniums in the Australian flora. And just thinking again back to the Geelong Botanic Gardens days, we, oh, um, there was a biodiversity survey which was done on the railway line between... Um, Ballarat and Geelong, and it discovered this population of a uh, uh, geranium. Uh, it, it was called species number two or something okay. at the time, but it's been since called geranium carolinii. Okay. Um, highly endangered, almost a single big robust population. Wow. Uh, so yeah, some of our native um, uh, geraniums have actually got some conservation significance. There's another really nice pelargonium in the rare and threatened bed at the Melbourne Gardens um, uh, from Benambra. So it's a subalpine um, pelargonium, um, which has got conservation significance as well. Right. So, yeah, some of our geraniums and pelargoniums, uh, some of them are common, Rodneyanum and Australae and mm. um, geranium salanderi. So that I've, sort of goes all the way back to the, the, the um, Banks Cook Yes, yes, yes. I've um, got a, quite a big one, a big-leafed one with a fairly small pink flower in mine, which is a native. And it's pelargonium australae, I would I imagine. Can't get rid of the bastard. Yeah, yeah, no, they're persistent. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are persistent. And they, yeah, they are persistent. John, John, is there much work being done on fire retardant um, plants, or especially native plants? Um, oh, look, th- th- 
not real. Uh, I mean, there, there's. Yeah, or is there, there such a thing? Well, I'm not sure that there is. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not okay. sure that there is. I mean, yeah. You get the conditions like Black Saturday, mm. and um, you know, fire was being carried on grass stubble. Yes. Uh, so um, you know, things like um, agapanthus that you would normally think of fleshy, and you know, they were carrying fire. Mm. Mm. So I think in extreme conditions, there's no such thing as an inflammable plant. There's mm. things that are less flammable. Things mm. that have got succulents mm. or that are fleshy. Um, that are fleshy. Yes, yeah, yes. that's got more, you know, a higher percentage of moisture and maybe not so many oils. Mm. Um, like I've got a lot of grapes around me and I think mm. that's handy. Handy, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. grapes don't burn until unless it gets really hot. But I think um, I think the the main solution for for, for fire is uh, how you arrange your plants mm-hmm. and having big areas of mineral earth or gravel or yep. you know and mm. um, avoiding what's called the fire ladder. Mm-hmm. So that's layers of, of vegetation that'll pick fire up and actually elevate yes. it. Yes. So elevated fine fuels, yes. um, mm. all sort of um, connected together, mm. uh, is what you want to avoid. Mm. So I think it's about arrangement and and certainly species composition as well. Mm. Species composition and arrangement can mm. can create a more resilient or, or more mm. to- uh, what's the word? I'm not even sure what the word is. Uh, um, Less area. flammable. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting because we get people around us, and and the, and the big fire started just up a kilometre up the road from where we've got our nursery. Sure. And uh, people talk about the mobs of kangaroos, and of course we're seeing them now on the Hume Freeway because they're getting bowled over. Mm. But the mobs of kangaroos and mobs of sheep in paddocks reduce the grass and reduce the fire hazard. Sure. Sure. And that's all part of the whole thing. Yeah. And when we say mobs of kangaroos, oh, there's mobs of you know, 200 in a mob in different places. And, 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 and people talk about, you know, non-native animals and we've got to do what with cattle and now we've got the real push on this uh, vegan uh, strain. But we need cattle, we need sheep and we need kangaroos. Mm. We, need to, we need to graze. Yes. Mm. <coughs> yes. The bush needs to be biomass reduced, I think the, yes. the, the biological exactly. term is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. Okay, we should go to our first caller. We have uh, our good friend Pam in Kyneton. Good morning, Pam. Oh, good, good morning, everybody. I'm listening intently. Right. All these things. Um, I was up at Denara yesterday. The Garden Club had a, has a stall up there. Oh, okay. Oh, God, it is the most stunning garden you could ever wish to be in. Right. If anybody get a chance to go, you know, because it's not open that frequently anymore. No, that's right. Where, where is this, Pam? Denira, this is the one at Mount Macedon. Right, okay. It's right up the very top of Mount Macedon, and there's very little parking up there, So, but they're running a shuttle bus from down the bottom of the mountain. Oh, okay. um, Near that, um, you know, where the little um, park is there, where the toilets and things are. They're running a shuttle bus up and down the mountain. Oh, that's a great idea. Because it was packed. There were so many people. And the colour of the trees and those trees in that mm. garden. I mean, oh, I said to my friend Gillian, this is the closest dog you can get to England in Australia. Wow. Mm. <laughs> it was just, and we need to keep those gardens. Yes. They are oh, yes. And to so just, just drive through there, Pam, um, just for people in their car, it's such a, a, a relaxing um, yes. experience, isn't it, exactly. with all that brilliant colour. Mm. Yep. Yeah. It's just beautiful, and it was so busy yesterday, so I can imagine what today will be. But the yes. shuttle bus is a fabulous idea. Terrific. But just a beautiful place to go. Excellent. Anyway. Excellent. So I wanted to talk to Graham. Oh, and salvias. I grow salvia gregii in a border. I've made a little hedge. 
about eight feet long in the front of my house of the salvia gregii, and I just prune them. When they finish, I prune them just after Christmas, and now they're all back full of yes. flower they're again. Great. They're just the best plant. Mm. Yes. And the birds um, love them. They yes. do, yes. Anyway, and I can grow them, and the frost doesn't affect them anyway. Well, that's good, you know, because, I mean, you don't get a lot of salvias growing in Britain, for example, because mm. they get knocked out by the winter. And yes, they, then they that, need to bring them in. Same with geraniums. Yeah, well, mine go through that place. hard winter. They go through the hard winter fine, and my daughter has them, and the kangaroos don't eat them. Yes, mm. I, I think mm. the wallabies will go for them, but the kangaroos mm. don't, and most important, those rabbits don't, because mm. the rabbits no, just and the rabbits have a nibble, me. but... Yeah, on the whole, they don't. The kangaroos are all starving around here. Oh, are they? No, yeah. They've yeah. got no idea what the kangaroos are up to searching for food around here. It's, they've never known it before. Oh, dear. Anyway, um, I wanted to ask about roses. Prime kangaroo food. <laughs> <laughs> and possum food. <laughs> and deer and food. anything you can think of food. <laughs> um, I've been growing, uh, Graham, I've grown the... Um, Oh, God, now the name's going to come to me. Oh, dear, it's gone out of me. It doesn't matter. And they can't cope with the heat. I've, so after trying to persevere with them for the last five years, right. it's the summers that they can't go through. Right. This is your not, roses? Yes. Not, yeah. not the winters. Right. Um, yeah. I'm surprised. And what was your question, Pam? I needed to know because I'm going to dig them out. What are the um, roses? The um, they so they keep all their leaves. Oh, well, you're looking at rugosas. Alba, yeah, rugosas. Yeah, rugosa alba. Oh, thank you, Graham. Yeah. I planted rugosa albas, and two of them grow really well. In fact, they're as high as the fence, but they're mm-hmm. up higher mm-hmm. and they're back further. Right. But the ones that I planted further forward, it's the summers. It's this soil which. Mm parches like you wouldn't believe and has no friability in it in the summertime. Right, so you, have you got black volcanic soil? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so, and it's the summers and because where my garden is I get all the north wind, I get a lot of north wind as well mm. as that and I'm next to the oval of course so, you know, it's a mm. hard spot. So instead of the rugosas, I thought I might try some of the normal roses. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I know in roses, some roses have more vigour than others. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know if there's a rose. I mean, I've got along the front of the house, I inherited, you know, the white roses. Right. Um, and I was wanting to know if there was a a couple of roses that had a bit more vigour than some of the others that I might that can cope with that dry a little bit better. Right. I have to say, amongst mine, the Just Joey is incredibly um, hardy through the summer. Is it? Yeah. Because I'm, okay. I'm with you. I think that north wind, when people talk, you know, you read about where you should plant a plant and yes. they don't say avoid north wind, whereas it's yes. the first thing I think about when I'm planting now. Yes. Will you take the north wind? Because I'm That's on top right. of a hill. Mm. Yes. And it's mm. just so difficult. Yes. If if you if you look at um, uh, the rugosas that you've got, you need to check on uh, first of all where you got them from, and if they're on Doctor Huey mm. uh, as a rootstock, then the best thing to do now is to look at uh, multiflora, 
uh, as a rootstock. And so whoever you get them from, you need to check out what the rootstock is, Pam. Well, and, and this is the issue. A friend of mine bought them. She's a garden designer and she knew I wanted them and she came, she gave them to me. So right. I don't know where they came from. Mm-hmm. And I even think sometimes that it might be because I've got some down the back of the block, down mm. the hill, and they're on their own rootstock. Right. And they are doing okay, but yes. these ones out the front were grafted. Yeah. Is there so, any way you can tell what, what yeah. the rootstock is? Well, you'd have no. to go back to the grower. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, there's yeah. no knowing. way. You've yeah. got to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. So, um, so I'm just going to... I've persevered with them all this time, yes. and, and I'm just going to ditch them. Right. I've still got some, but these, they're never, ever going to flourish, mm. and they frustrate me. So, mm. in fact, they barely grow in the summertime. They just die back. Everything, right. and it's the new growth that dies back. Pam, what sort of mulch do you use on the beds? Well, I've used, um, I use a lot of horse manure. Mm-hmm. I've used, I've even put in a little bit of gravel to try and open yes, it up, yes. just mm. fine gravel. A little bit. I've used, and I use an organic palletized um, fertilizer mm-hmm. that um, that old Dennis Norgate told me about. Right. And um, so, and I've used that. So, and then I've used a lot of oak leaves, and I've used a lot of, you know, like I might even put a few grass clippings over them. Right. I've used sheep manure. Um, okay. All right, Pam, what, what we need to look at is, is to try and encourage as much humus as you yeah. can yeah. In, in those garden beds. Yeah. And, and, of course, the humus, this is what we're doing today at Talangi with the biodynamic, um, yeah. uh, making of the biodynamic preparations. Yeah. And a lot of people get confused with compost, yeah. and compost is different to humus. And yeah. if, you, if people are making good humus, you should be able to roll it up in a ball and yeah. squeeze moisture out of it when, yeah. it's, when it's nicely matured. It's almost yeah. peat. Yes. Yes. Isn't yeah. it? It's almost peat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you're going down the right track by mixing your manures in there, but yeah. you need to source an actual humus compost. All right. Okay. So yeah. you're, you're probably going to have to hunt around uh, for suppliers um, and... You need to see. I actually went to Young up in New South Wales and got a, a bulker bag of humus that I top up the pots with. Yeah. And there are like double delight. People know double delight, magnificent perfume, but yeah. a cow of a thing to grow in a pot. Hates yeah. a pot. Yeah. And um, so if I top up the top of the pot with the, that humus, yeah. you know, about an inch, an inch or so on the top, yeah. that holds the moisture in the top part of the pot. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. it's growing. Plastic pots are the worst thing in the world we can use for plants. Is it doing more than just uh, holding moisture in? Mm-hmm. It, it's building up the, the microbes? Yeah. Yes. That's okay. right. So it's a living soil. Yes. Yes. It's, yeah, you're right. It's a living soil. Yep. But in, in below that humus on the top, we've got coconut fibre, which holds moisture. Yep. And we uh, cannot do anything with soil microbes or compost without moisture. Yep. Mm. We just can't. Yep. That, that's no. critical. Yeah. And on, I, mean, I tend to use pea straw, which isn't mm-hmm. the prettiest thing, but yeah. because it does break down so well yeah. and does provide nitrogen, and I don't mind the peas yeah. coming up because they're all right, and I yeah. will then dig them in. And I think you need something like that over mm. the summer that, that yeah. will break down in a year mm. rather than, you know, people put some really thick bark 
covering mm-hmm. down, and it doesn't, it, it no. won't feed the soil. Whereas yeah. and, and you've got tannins, and the tannins are destructive to the microbes. Mm. Yeah. Whereas yeah. peace straw, uh, yeah. over, yeah. I mean, uh, not for a minute suggesting you don't do the, the various poos you've put down, the sheep, the cow. Yeah. I think that's fantastic for the soil, and that's yeah. good for the worms. But also putting in pea straw or something that will fix the nitrogen is always yeah. a good idea. Yeah, it's a good because mixture. I use coconut. I use the sugar cane mulch and yes. I'm never going to use it again. I don't like the sugar cane mm-hmm. mulch it because it, it, it doesn't mats. rot down into yeah. the soil like the pea straw does. No, mm. and it forms a mat mm. and the water runs mm. off it. I, mm. I don't mm. like it at all. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. I'm, I'm and it's expensive. If you're looking at a watering system, uh, Pam, investigate... Uh, sprinklers and people will go oh when I talk about sprinklers but if you use a dripper the drippers are only going to only get to wet that little zone so if you if you get a a, a sprinkler system that doesn't give you a fine mess it'll it'll let it come out in in good sized droplets then you're encouraging that microbial activity within that bed and that'll build up a form of humus and that's what you're after Okay. So there's two things there, Pam. There's your yeah. soil, but there's also looking at what, when you buy some roses, what what they're grafted the onto. And I think you need to, oh, right. you need to okay. think about that. I mean, you've got Graham not that far away in Kilmore, and there's yeah. others around that will be able to tell you that have got a relationship with their roses and will be mm. able to tell you. And if they can't tell you what it's on, I wouldn't buy it. Mm. All right, so, so Graham, I need Dr. Huey. I no, need, no, I don't not necessarily. No. Um, if you can find out what the rootstock is, come yeah. back to us yeah. and, and we'll, we, we know what most growers use because there's yeah. about four different rootstocks now that are being used. Uh, One from New Zealand, uh, there's, there's Dr. Huey, there's Laxon, there's Multiflora, so it gets a little bit, you know, but you, you work within four types of rootstock. All right, well, then I just might come and get my roses. You. Well, but also I think, I think it makes a difference which rose. I mean, as a, some, you know, just Joey for me will just bounce us through the summer. Yeah. And I've got some other ones which I just love and they always look absolutely appalling at the end of the summer. I, I keep planting some of them and it's stupid because they're not so, strong enough. So there's yes, in, inherent tolerances. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And I presume it's things like how much Persian rose they've got in them, and you know, or have they got mm. English rose as their background, you know, what, what these the things genetic. have been bred mm. from. Yeah. But we're looking at a rootstock that'll suit your soil. Yes, that's exactly, that would be fabulous. So right. you've got a little homework job to do there, Pam. I have. Find out. It sounds like growing roses is about growing roots. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you're growing roots, like you're growing roses. That yeah. goes for any plant, really. It does. Well, it does, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. well, some things will grow and others won't. You know, since the fires, we had people coming into our nursery. A couple of years, even a couple of years later, they were saying, oh, you know, I've been losing native plants in my garden, but the damn roses are still growing. <laughs> and and it'll, it can depend a lot on the soil they've got, but a rose will send its roots um, out as far as anything up to three metres. Yeah. If it can't go yeah. down, it'll go out. It'll it'll away, you know? yeah. But again, you've, you've still got the, the soil that will allow the roots to do that. Yeah. Okay? That's right. Oh, yeah. this soil, oh, God. It's, it's <laughs> just, anyway, I've been fighting with it for this long. A bit longer is not going to make much difference. <laughs> Good on you. Good on you, Pam. <laughs> okay, I'll go. Okay. Thank you so much for okay. an interesting conversation. Okay, bye. bye. Thank you, bye. All right, next up we're going to go to Adam out in Heathmont. Good morning, Adam. 
Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. That's fine. Go ahead. Um, I'm looking for advice on a, a low sort of 1 to 1.5 metre hedge that I can plant near some eucalypts. So, yeah, it's got a bit of competition with, the, with some trees. Uh, you're wanting a native, a native plant? I'm not, no, not, not necessarily. I'm not fussed at all. Um, how, how tight and how uniform and like do you tight, want? Like, do you... It's just a, a, a tight, so it's something with pretty small leaves. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not, it's pretty, pretty um, heavy clay soil and yeah, there's not much there, so I'll probably have to improve it with some compost and things. But yeah, tight, pretty tight hedge. I'll, I can... Adam, from my garden, the two things that leap to mind would be an escalonia, okay. which has got quite a, a dark green leaf, yep. and you can just hedge and it will be quite thick, or a westringia, yeah. which gives you a yeah. much greyer look, and will, so will complement the eucalypts, and is, yeah. is pretty tough. They're the two okay. that leap to my mind. Yeah. And what I'd say is don't go for the normal... Little hedges people put all around box. their guns, the box hedge. No, no, I wouldn't do that. No, I was thinking, well, it just came to mind, um, lily pillies, like a. Um, oh, how high bush, do you want it? Christmas or something. Well, I, uh, one to one and a half metres, but I can I can prune it um, fortnightly or monthly even. I don't like lily pillies myself, but. Yeah. There's some nice, there's some nice hedging calistamins. Some some of those some of the smaller growing calistamins make a, a, a pretty solid. Uh, pretty solid hedge. I mean, you wouldn't clip it like you would. Uh, uh, you wouldn't get the tight. I mean, you can clip them, of course, but but, 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 but they're in, inevitably a little bit more softer. And, and it, so, if you're after a nice cl- clean line, um, yes. there's some leonemas. There's some interesting leonemas that that hedge up pretty nicely as, as okay. well. Yeah. Um, uh, I sort of the one thing I, I'm not a massive fan of lily pillies myself. I don't like the sort of bronzy new growth, but the the, the green, the, the vibrant sort of lush green of them. I well, have like. a look at the Escalonia because that will okay. give you that. And, of course, depending where it is and what you're trying to do, a Rugosa will hedge very well if, if you want something it's, that's going to stop things getting through and things like that. It's, no, it's near a, near a footpath. No, um, Rugosa's completely no. out. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so um, it, it's kind of a, just a low sort of blockage because the house is five metres away from the footpath. Right. But don't want it full, you know, two metres high, complete, you know, shut us off from the world, but, like, just just a visual yeah. you know, barrier. I'm agreeing with Virginia. I think West Westringias are often... A, a, a go-to when it comes to a to a hedge. They perform so well, don't they? Yeah, as a hedge, they really, they really do. do. Yeah. yeah, but they, they, the Westringer is a grey colour. Yes, yeah, no. no which one would be sort of quicker growing, quicker to get established? Uh, I think much of a muchness. Yeah, um, yeah, much of a muchness. Okay. And no, of course, no. remember that if things are quick growing, it means you're going to have to work harder at keeping it in shape. I don't mind um, working harder because it's actually for for a client, and I'll be I'll be working. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the other thing too is if you're um I mean a lavender hedge is lovely as long as you're happy to replace it every now and then. ten years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and with natives, I'm, I'm a bit confused about soil improvement because most of the things I plant in my own garden, I sort of chuck everything at them. But um, for natives, you don't want it too rich for most of them, do you? Again, it de- depends on the, the natives that you're talking about. If you're talking East Coast rainforest species, they'll, they'll um, 
you know, they're broadleaf evergreen plants and they'll take, uh, you know, whatever you throw at them, really, yeah. com- compared to something that comes from sandy country of Western Australia, which won't tolerate much in the way of um, uh, fertilisers at all. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it depends a little bit on on the on, on when they're where they're from. I'm just thinking about other, but uh, just thinking about some of the hedge rows or the hedges that we've got at the Cranbourne Gardens, and some of the some of the corriers um, can can make a nice little hedge as well. I mean, chef's and cap. Again, yeah. Chef's cap is a beautiful yeah. hedge, and it's very green. If you're looking for something green, yeah. that's a really yeah. good idea. Chef's cap corrier. It's, it's kind of got that kind of got the black green of the of the um, of the lily pilly, but none of not so many of the issues. Yeah. Um, so I'd be maybe having a look around some of the some of the corriers. How high will okay. that get, John? Oh, look, you could probably. I mean, if you let it go, yeah. they, they can be a couple of meters. Okay. Um, but you could probably hold it at 1.2 yeah. or one if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. I do think the chef's cap corrier is a beautiful yeah, it's a nice hedge. Mm, I really and, like it. And Coria Lorenzianas, we've got a hedge of Coria Lorenziana, which is a, um, and there's a, a number of different forms of that, but that's a potential a little bit taller again. Sue but the chef's caps are nice. That's a good. That's it's a beautiful yeah, hedge. That's Barolini eye. Yeah. Sue has just texted in and said, "If you're going for a whisk, Sue should be here today, but unfortunately she's unwell." But she's obviously listening to us, which is lovely. And she's tested in, texted in saying violet skies is okay. all deep purple for your wastringia. Okay. Would be two okay. particularly good ones. Mm. But there are quite a few colour bars. Mm. Oh, yes. There's the infamous smoky. Yes. I really think that we tend to put too much um, fertiliser on our gardens. You know, I yeah, don't think... Yeah, no, I'm thinking more just compost and... Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't put too much fertiliser, just soil improvement and um, manures and things like that. But if I put too much of that, I'm slightly worried because a lot of natives that I'm making the soil a bit too rich. Yes, yes. And, I mean, I, I have got... My garden is not separated, so I've got natives all through my garden and mm. none of them have complained about my fairly weak fertilising. I mean, I tend to put um, cheap poo and things like that down. Yeah. And I haven't lost anything. Okay. Yeah, I'm just thinking if I dig it, dig holes for them and just add lots of sheep poo or cow or whatever and, um, and loads of compost. Yeah, I'd be careful. With, I'd be careful. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I'd be think so. You know, yeah. it, it, um, a little bit of uh, inorganic fertilizer into your site soil. Um, a bit of compost. Yeah, yeah, compost. Compost is always, organic matter is always always good. Yeah. Um, and you know, if, if native something like a, you know, the bush tucker or something like that, for, I for, tend, for I those tend, leafy things. I don't know what yeah. you think, John. You'd be better at this than me. But I tend not to fertilise things that I've just planted. Yeah. I, I put, will put um, compost or things into loosen because I've got that heavy red clay yeah, sure. to loosen up the clay sure. to give them a way and like make the hole quite a bit bigger so that I can. Give them a good space yep. so that they can, because my clay can go as absolutely rigid in mm. summer. Yeah, but well, I don't feed them until they're well going. And in our sandy soils at Cranbourne, we because they 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 hold virtually nothing in the way yes, of nutrients. Of you know, it's it's uh, a, a wise strategy. So it's not one size fits all, is mm. it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Okay, can I, can I just ask one quick question about? Sure. Um, I've got some old potting mix in. Uh, well, it's not that old. It's six months old, but the bag's been open for a while, and there's lots of mycelium in it. Okay. Is that is that um that's fine. That good or bad? Yeah, that's, yes. that's, oh, that's it fine. Means you have life in your potting mix. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, good. I just whether it's that's a bit unusual for potting mix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is actually. 
But Craig, but, Craig was talking last week about it. Um, yeah, that's why I was listening last week. Yes. And I just remembered about it, and I thought, and I, I sort of had a half a feeling it might be a bit water retentive after that. But water. Um, Hydrophobic. Hold up, hydrophobic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once potting mix dries out, it, it can be tricky to, 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 to re-wet, and you need to make sure that you, if it's in a container, that you dunk the container and yeah. um, remove all the air and actually wet it up again. Um, okay. But yeah, that's it. what it means is the compost. The um, potting, compost is pot, alive. Potting mix is starting to. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, you could always add that into your compost heap. Yep. Yeah, which would be fine, and just use it as part of your whole compost mix. Yeah, that'd be great in your compost because you'd be putting the mycelium in. That's right. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Thanks for your help. Fine. Bye. Thanks. That number, if you'd like to join us this morning, uh, we are running through until nine fifteen. We in the studio this morning. We have Virginia Haywood. John Arnott and Graham Sargent, so uh, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 or to speak to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. John, before we go to that one, let's mm-hmm. go to some of your grey foliage plants. Sure, no worries. So I walked around. I, I was working yesterday when you, when you called me. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I thought oh, I'll just cut a lap of the Australian Garden and have a, a think about what I could bring in. And it's the... Um, I don't know, it's the 25 shades of grey. He <laughs> <laughs> <It> is. <laughs> so uh, I, I found myself being looking, looking at, at grey foliage plants and have brought in a, a posy. A of, real of, posy, of, of, yes. of grey foliage plants. Um, now, grey foliage, there's a sort of a correlation between grey foliage and drought tolerance or um, being sort of environmentally a bit more... Uh, resilient or resistant, yes, you know, uh, yes. robust. Yes, um, and you, you know this coming in from Mexico and the Baja, you would have seen a, a, a great, you know, um, a number of, Austra- of uh, plants from Southern California that have got grey foliage. So what what we've got here is we've got some eremophilas, we've got some um, uh, a Mariana, which is a saltbush. Uh, we've got some grey foliaged uh, acacias. Um, uh, a really interesting uh, eucalypt, um, some of those mallee eucalypts with mm. with the grey juvenile foliage, and there's even a plectranthus in here um, with, with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with grey foliage. Right. So, you know, all manner of different shapes and sizes and forms yes. of, 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 of grey foliage coming out of the Australian garden. Amazing textures in there. <laughs> it's, it's a real mix of absolutely everything you can imagine in the texture of a leaf. It's kind of beautiful. I mean, it really Wonderful. is. Wonderful. It works so well. The shades of grey. Yeah. Because you have sort of dull... Dull greys and, and then, you know, things like the the, the Mariana here, which yes. has got uh, it, it's a, it's a really silver, almost white. Oh, it is. Um, uh, white foliage. Uh, the Eremophilas are you know, similar. That's highly reflective. That's sil- right. Silvery white foliage. Yeah, beautiful. So you would never think that you could get that much beauty and diversity in into into grey foliage, mm. but you assemble it in. A, a posy, and it actually looks quite beautiful. Hmm. I've just taken a photograph of John and his um, posy, so that should turn up on our Facebook page quite soon. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, do you want to know what John looks like holding his grey posy? The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would make the correlation between the grey foliage and the grey hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's, there's a there's a whole garden. That, that's Mariana sedifolia. 
which is called the Pearl Blue Bush. Oh. So it, 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 you refer to the Blue Bush Plains of Inland Australia. It's often yes. refer, referring to Mariana Cetifolia Plains. Okay. Uh, and years ago, um, there was a, a, a sheep property up at Kalpuram in, in South Australia that the zoo was asked to do some flora surveys on. Right. They destocked it uh, and we're going to manage it as a conservation reserve so they wanted to get the baseline information so we did a vegetation survey uh, and one of the one of the things Mariana cetifolia is it's used as a foliage filler um, in floriculture in places like Israel okay uh, they've made selections of, of uh, Mariana cetifolia and, and one of the projects was to look at the indigenous flora of the Kalpuram region and see if there's potential for some of these things to be commercialised. Mm. So we went, uh, we went out into the bluebush country and selected forms of Mariana cetifolia and tried to propagate them for floriculture. Okay. So I've got, I've got a really lovely relationship with Mariana cetifolia. Whenever I see it, I'm back and at Calpurum. And how do you spell its first name for people who want to look it up? Uh, yeah, it's uh, M-A-I-R-E-A-N-A, but I'm going to check that. M-A-R-I-A-N-E-A. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've just bought three of them. And Mariana said folio, mm, right. As, and they called it the pearl bush to put on my damn wall because I thought that's a fairly hardy spot. Yeah. And it looked like they would survive really well. I think they're very pretty. It's a very... It's a gorgeous thing. It's uh, it's a, a white grey rather than a green grey. Mm. And so it's a very small leaf. Mariana, M-A-I-R-E-A-N-A. Mariana Cetifolia and Cetifolia S. Spell that again, please, John. M A I R E A N A. Mariana. And and Marianas are the the generically the blue bushes. And there's a whole garden at the Melbourne Gardens which is dedicated to to, to grey plants, and it's one of my favourite gardens. I I take I love the grey garden. I take people there because it's it's very it's a very tall garden. It, It must be I don't know. Mm. 20 foot or something and it just drops down to uh, down to the road and it faces directly north so it is the hottest yep and Mm. the driest Driest. part of the garden and it's just full of gray plants because that's what survives there and Mm. they tend to be from south africa western australia some victorian um you know california california there's just these beautiful grey plants and they've all got lovely flowers or not all of them but most of them and then interspersed the agaves that then put up 20 foot flower spikes every now and again it's quite exciting really and and with that john will will stock graze on it uh yeah yeah it is a it's a stock it is grazed by stock yeah yeah so so native animals as well yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um look a, a number of marianas persist in in heavily grazed country as, as the things that, that uh, left. So they're palatable but not highly palatable. Right. And then a number of the sheenopods are highly palatable. So, again, there's that variability within the group. Mm. Um, but, yeah, uh, well, you've, you've heard of um, um, lamb, which has been, you know, grazed, yes. grazed with the salt bush. That's the old salt bush lamb. Yeah. That's a, it's a different thing. That's a ragodia. Yeah. Um, but very similar. But very similar. Similar yeah. looking. It's, it's mm. one of those well, salt bushes. Well, the salt bushes, people drive up the Hume Freeway... That salt bush. That salt bush. Um, is that grazable? That's grazable. Yep. Yes. Yep. I, well, it depends on what it is. It, it might be Ragodia parabolica, yes. um, which is palatable, but it's not the the Ragodia, um, which is the salt bush Ragodia. Right. That's Ragodioides, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And and what sort of life does that have? 
Oh, long-lived. They're mm. super, super long-lived, the salt yeah. bushes, yeah. And, and can that be hedged or, or, or trimmed back? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah for I'm sure. In fact, yeah. they, the, the In fact, we should have mentioned those to Adam. Saltbush. Yeah, <laughs> for, for a robust, for a robust res- resilient grey hedge. As people drive up the Hume Freeway, there's just kilometres yeah, on Yeah, that's right. And for, for all intents and purposes, it's been pretty successful. Super successful, mm. yeah, yeah, mm. super mm. successful. Apart from gathering all the rubbish around the place, but anyway. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that's, that's right. Um, so, yeah, saltbushes as a, as a group of, of plants, are, I mean, they're, they're not for every garden mm-hmm. um, because they, they, they won't tolerate wet, mm. winter wet, I wouldn't imagine, mm. all, all that comfortably. But it's not the sort of thing that animals would live on all the time? Exclusively, no. 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 Okay. No, so um, it'll, it'll be a... a, a, a palatable element in a landscape rather than the mm. f- primary food source. Mm. So they probably in, in drought conditions they'll, they'll graze it or yep. take bits and pieces of it? But yeah. a, a kangaroo would probably be, would much prefer to be grazing on a, a grassy monocot. Mm. Yeah, mm. On, on grasses. But they'll go backwards and forwards, won't they? Yeah. Because I see the kangaroos along the edge of the roads around where we are and always beware after you've had some rain or shower of rain, they'll hop the fence and go along the road because they've got no, they've got competition in the paddock yeah. from sheep and cattle. Yeah. And and we'll find that they 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 just be up along the road and it's like you know just slow down, slow down. Yeah. You know, do forty k's here. Just getting the green pick on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. This one, this y- eucalypt. That's uh, that's uh, eucalyptus pulverulenta. Uh, I thought it might. Yeah, be. which is um. Yeah, you know, if you let it go, it, it can form a, 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 a tree, tree, but, but it, it can be coppiced down to form a, a really lovely medium-sized to tall hedge. And mm. how often would you cut it? Every three years. Every three years. Yeah, that sort of thing. And that's used maybe it may be tighter than that, depending on how quickly they're growing back. Mm. Used by florists? Used by florists. Oh, yeah. yes, a lot. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Because so, there's um, a lot of these in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, which they use, they cut regularly, so they've always got the young leaf. Yes, that's right, because it's the juvenile leaf. Which um, is beautiful, which that's is, right. Which has got those attributes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if things like that are coppiced, um, I, I see windbreaks that are just absolutely useless. Yeah. Because they're wind tunnels. Yeah, sure. And why um, there's not a lot more trimming happens in, in those sort of situations just to keep the keep the canopy lower in, in the ground, it sort of you know, befuddles me, but if you coppice it, is it, doesn't that weaken the plant as well? Depends on the thing. Yeah, if um, there there's a bunch of eucalypts which are mallee eucalypts, mm-hmm. which have got a lignotuberous base, right. and, and they'll, they'll grow back extremely strongly and extremely um, robustly, mm. uh, structurally sound mm. um, from the lignotuber, but mm. if you cut back a, a mallet, mm-hmm. um, you know, those... Yeah, it's potentially a flawed tree, yeah. and if you cut back a tree, mm-hmm. um, you know, coppice a tree, mm. you'll you get you know five or six or seven branches where there yeah. should really ideally be one. Right. Yeah. yeah, so you can weaken a tree from from coppicing it. Yeah. A mallee tree, it, it actually strengthens it. Okay, yeah. horses for courses. Horses for courses. Yeah, good. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, we've had a, a query from the outside line, and I think most of you will um, instantly realise what the problem is with this one. Um, Jenny has an apple tree still in a pot. It has a white mould up the trunk and on some surface roots, if you squeeze the mould, it becomes red. Woolly aphids. Sounds like it. Sounds like it to me too. What should she do? 
white oil, eco oil, John? E- eco oil. Eco oil. Yep. Yep. But yeah, but not on a hot day. Not no, 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 no. When no. it's going to be 28 degrees. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Depending on how heavy the infestation is, you could wait to see if ladybirds or beneficial insects can turn up. But, um, yeah. And, and it depends. I mean, it's some a, apple a, trees are really prone to uh, it the, more than others. That's right. Yes. That's right. I, I believe you'll need to make at least two applications about yes. two or three weeks apart. Sure. I yeah, agree with that. To really get them, yeah. Yep. And does it need to stay in a pot? Because that's probably why it's happened. Mm. It's the stress. Uh, stress well, it's under, it's mm. under stress, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can get it um, out into the ground, Jenny, it would be so much the better. But, yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, it sounds like a, uh, an application of eco-oil would be yep. pertinent. Yep, absolutely. Just not on a hot day because you'll, you'll burn things. Yep. Mm. Okay, great. We'll go next to our good friend, Fermi. Good morning, Fermi. Good morning, Pam. Welcome back. Thank you. I was <laughs> only missing for a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was absolute chaos. While oh. Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, uh, Avi did a great job. Right. Good, yeah. good, good to hear. Uh, yeah. Look, um, and welcome, um, welcome back to Virginia. We've been following you on Instagram in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah, all right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I had and, a wonderful uh, time in Hawaii for me. Oh, yes, it's, yes. I've, I've seen not, those T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something I expected to love, but I love Hawaii. I think it's yeah. such an interesting place bot- botanically. Oh, yeah, and they have that wonderful native nut, the macadamia. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Only yes, it's our native. And the other thing that I love is that they don't have foxes, so you oh. drive along the road and, and there's chooks popping out everywhere. They're <laughs> on feral. Right. I think feral chooks is wonderful. And, and my friends go out looking for eggs just oh. in what we would call the bush. Ooh. Good heavens. Because the the chooks are feral. Yes. <laughs> and I went swimming and a, to- and a turtle swam past me. I mean, how... How could you That's not imagine? Oh, you must have been very slow for a turtle to go past. <laughs> <laughs> I am slow, unfortunately. <laughs> oh. Oh, I was ringing about two things. Right. One is I'm... I'm was listening to your community announcement, but might have nodded off. Uh, did you mention that the Fernie Creek Autumn Show is on in two weeks' time? No, I didn't, and thank okay. you for reminding me. Okay. So the 27th and 28th is the Autumn Show, which is usually... Um, it really rivals the uh, Spring Show, because um, uh, we forget that uh, Autumn is also a great time for a lot of bulbs, and so things like Narinis and, uh, mm. and some of the Autumn Crocus and things are out at that time. Beautiful. But of course, the autumn foliage and uh, people, you know, bring in branches off their uh, deciduous trees and they they just fill the hall with uh, colour. Oh, and wonderful. You, and will you have lots of people selling things there? I'm pretty sure there will be. I'm not involved at the moment with the um, the actual organising of it, but uh, the the I was up there for the. Um, the uh, plant expo, and there was a huge number of uh, sellers there. So and I think for me, it's becoming that Fernie Creek is the only one doing it because mm. this year Teslas aren't doing this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's you know it's so important to have all those growers having shows that they can take stuff to. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Fernie Creek will keep it up, uh, but we always need new members. So. Um, I'm a member. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, what, remember, what, I joined what? when I was in my 20s, and until my 50s, I used to say, I joined as one of the youngest members, and I'm still one of the youngest members. <laughs> <laughs> <But> Wonderful. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, now there is a, a new um, 
uh, generation of gardeners coming along. Oh, that's yeah. encouraging. Yeah. That's good. And, and the date of that again, please, Ernie? It's the yeah. 27th of and the 28th of April. Mm-hmm. So now some people may have picked up one of the tourist magazines and they put an ad in there, they put the wrong date. Oh, no. no they, put the, they put the Easter weekend, they put the 20th, oh. 20th, uh, 20th and 21st. Right. But in the same magazine, there's an article about the gardens, and it says the correct date. So okay. it probably just leads to people being confused more than anything. Yes. But well, we'll just mention it next week as well. We certainly will. Yes, yes. Yep. I wanted to get in early with that. Yeah, um, no, good on you. The other thing is that on that same on the night of the Saturday, the 27th, uh, the Alpine Garden Society have got an event because um, uh, some of you may have heard of Alistair Watt. He's yes. sort of a garden historian who uh, uh, lives in the Otways and has a wonderful extraordinary thing down there. Mm. Uh, and he's written uh, a historical account of uh, two garden, uh, well, two plant hunters, um, Reginald Farrer, who is the patron saint of Alpine Gardeners, and um, um, Char- uh, Charles Purdom, I think his name is. So um, he's written this book on it. He's actually coming to the Garden History Society. Oh, fantastic. Um, the week after, uh, the month after us in May, but in April he's going to be at the Alpine Garden Society, and uh, he's um, going to have his book for sale. He's self-published. Good on him. So it's not really available in, in your all good bookstores or anything like that. Yes. Uh, it's quite an interesting book. It should be quite an interesting talk. Now the Alpine Garden Society um, usually only has meetings open to members and prospective members. But because uh, he's uh, uh, got contacts in the Rhododendron Society, we have opened it up to other um, non-members uh, for a gold coin donation, so a $2 donation to get in. Excellent. So, and that's, now they, that's not at the Ferny Creek Hall, though. So you can't just stay there. Open. Okay. <laughs> but you can stay in the Dandenongs and go and grab a pizza at the Linda or something like that, then um, come up to... Um, the Olinda Community Hall, mm-hmm. which is right next door to the Olinda Swimming Pool, right uh, on the road down to um, Gentiana Nursery. So your regular listeners will know where where I'm talking about. Yes. And um, it starts. The talk starts at eight o'clock. Okay. That oh, sounds great. Uh, Al- Al- Alistair's a ripper. He's um, he is a planter hunter in his own right. Right. Okay. He went on really interesting Hawaii. He collected on, on Hawaii, up in the mountain peaks of Hawaii and New Caledonia. And um, he's an extraordinary person. He's got an extraordinary collection of Araucaria. That's cool, temperate mm-hmm. southern hemisphere conifers. Yeah. Yes, really. That's wonderful. his thing. Yes, I didn't get a chance to go down to the Otways to um, to see his garden, but uh, one, a couple of our members went down because when he released the book, I found out it's amazing how connected we are through social media. Because somebody on on Instagram had mentioned something about a new book on um, on uh, Farrah and Purdom, and of course, as soon as I saw Farrah, I thought, "Oh, I've got to find out about that." Contacted him, and he said, "Oh, he's just uh, printing it up. It'll be." $55, but $12 postage. And he said, but I'll waive that. You know, if people want to come and pick it up from the odd ways, you'll spend more than $12 in pe- petrol. But uh, but we had a few members who were really keen to get down there, and um, uh, one of our members actually uh, has a weekender down there. Right. So 
he was like 10 minutes away from uh, Alistair and he went down there and he had a great time, met met Alistair, posted pictures on the Instagram and, yeah. and uh, yeah, and um, yeah, and he, he to put some pictures on of Alistair's uh, uh, arboretum as well. Yeah, mm. the, the Otway Ridge Arboretum in Lavis Hill. Yeah. It's a wonderful spot. Yeah, so it might be something we'll have to try and get down to at some stage. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. anyway, that's on, on the, t- the night of the 27th, 8 o'clock at the Olinda Community Hall uh, for a gold coin donation if you're not a member of the Alpine Garden Society Victorian Group. Fantastic. And if you can't make that, try for the Australian Garden History yeah, Society. Yeah, and the Australian Garden History will have him in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you've got a fly there about it and because um, I think somebody mentioned it on 3CR a little while ago. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So I think somebody will live. You'll have the details of it somewhere. Yep, yep. I'll, but, uh, I'll handle yeah, the Yeah, but I encourage anybody who can get to, um, to one of his talks to get along. Are you talking to us in the shower, mate? Oh, no, sorry. I just turned the water on because I've got to wash the dishes. All right, I'm just Okay, look, thanks, Fermi, for all of that. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, bye. Bye. Pam, another self-published book um, that I've been uh, really lucky to be associated with is The History of uh, Angair, which is... Oh, yes. Anglesey and Aries in the Environment Group. Yes. So it's yet to be published. I think the launch date for this book is the 27th of April. Okay. Um, But Roz Gibson has has, uh, put together a remarkable history of 50 years of of Angair. Oh, wow. And, you know, just the legacy of achievements that have been achieved by, by that group of people down the coast it's yes. just been quite remarkable yes um so yeah a- again another self-published um so um, how do you get hold of it oh look i'm not really sure it's it, it at this stage it hadn't it hasn't been launched it's going right. to be launched on the 27th but i imagine once it's launched where um, is it being launched down there uh, down at anglesey mm-hmm. yes yeah, so for their, their their 50th year uh anniversary dinner and jeff carr uh, is is actually the the person which is launching the book. Oh, great! Yeah. great, yeah. great tie-in. Yeah, great tie-in. <laughs> and and it, I actually had the, I've been privileged to write the foreword for the book. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So, um, the Angier book self-published. Yes. So there's some, there's some really interesting self-publishing going on. Oh, Ian, there is. Ian Rogers' book yes. that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, yes, the history yes. of the Geelong Botanic Gardens. Yes. And Angier self-publishing mm. their mm. history. Mm. The friends at the Cranbourne Gardens are. Uh, writing a history, I think that's still a little way off being, okay. being ready to publish. But, yeah. um, but so oh, what's wonderful if you, after the launch, let the show know I so will. we can yeah. tell people absolutely. how they can get hold of it. For sure, yeah, absolutely, mm. with, a, with a web link or, 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 or something similar. Yes, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. All right, great. We have our good friend Roger online. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, Pam. How are you all in there? We're right. well. Going all right. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, Angie is a fantastic organisation. It's, it's a wonderful group of people doing some excellent work over a long, long time. Mm. Yeah, they, they really are, Roger. I mean, they've, yeah. they're, they're, they're custodians of the, mm. the bush. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've purchased land, they've managed land. Advocacy over many many years, and they've saved some things. Saved some when there's been traps. really serious development yep. about to destroy orchid habitat Pop, and things yeah. like oh, that. Right. They've that's been right. there and yeah. saved yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's good. That's Pub- good. Publications and all manner of things. Yeah, yeah they're they're, yeah. they're they're rippers. Yeah, they had some really really good people there. Yeah, look, I was just ringing because I thought there was a bit of a segue. 
Um, Graham brought up the aspect of fire before, then you started talking about Mariana Cetifolia. Yeah. And then it just, uh, the light bulb went off in the top of my head. You know, salt bushes are fantastic fire retardant plants. Because of the moisture in the leaves, well, right? Well, just, and the salt. They yeah. just don't burn, usually. Yeah, right. And uh, to have, you know, if people are in fire-prone areas, to have some good plantings of, of salt bushes around, uh, that will really slow down fires. Yeah, good. Okay. And, um, and it's been proved over, over years, you know. That, that, and it's interesting, that sort of stuff doesn't tend to get out mm. amongst even uh, CFA people and things like that because I, I, I don't know why, but uh, a lot of the salt bushes, ragodias, uh, Atroplex and uh, even Marianas, yeah. you know, are, are re- really good for that. And uh, it depends on your climate. Um, and even things like some of the Aromophilas too, yeah. um, Aromophila maculata yeah. and, uh, and Glabra, um, they are really good for slowing down fires. And way back, you know, about 1962, I think, in the fires that went through Warrandyte and over that part of the world and the Dandenongs, um, the artist Neil Douglas had a, a plot over over that way, and uh, he used to d- actually dig swales across the slope of his land, yeah. mm. and and planted things even like wattles, yeah, right. yes. which you know don't tend to burn as quickly as other things. But the idea of the swales was that. Um, uh, a lot of embers would come in and they would go in the swales They'd and just it, didn't trapped. blow further, uh, you know. Uh, and they, behind the swales, he would have ha- he had hedges yeah, right. of things. And, and these actually slowed ahead and his house was saved. Um, so there's lots of stuff like that around. And sometimes I know the poor old eucalypts get blamed for so many things. Yeah. Um, but there... And I suppose one of the other things... we. We people, we humans, live in silly places sometimes. True. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we you know if we weren't there, uh, there wouldn't be lots of problems. But um, but yeah. So so Rog, planting in bands and lines as yeah. sort of ember traps. That's that's yeah, that's yeah, that's a really yeah. interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, across across the slopes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so because I just know in the in the basin, you know, and some of the fires there, they, well, they did a lot of clearing underneath the eucalypts uh, on the one in 20 road from the basin to Alinda. Yeah. And, and it was just like a, a funnel. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. It just went hurtling up the hill. Yeah. You know, the draft underneath the trees. Just yes, push, right. Push. And, uh, you know, so sometimes the thing is to have some barriers of plantings and that can slow down things, just depending what they are. But, um, you know, some of the old man salt bush, Atroplex, mm. Numilera. Numilera folia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Folia and, and stuff like that. Even just Rigodia spinescens, which is a wonderful, I think it's a fantastic plant. It'll yep. grow in shade, full sun or whatever. Yep. Um, just low, it might build up to a metre or so. But, um, that, that, you know, if, if you have acreage and to have some fairly large plantings of that. And there's, prob- um, there's probably a few... Um, Non-native plants that you'd throw in the mix there too, things like mesembryanthemums and yeah, ap- yeah, aptenias well, and just a- any of the the big face type plants yeah. mm. are fine. Yeah. So yeah, know that there are ways, and 
when it's a really you know dangerous day you, you won't stop fire at all but um there are, are some plants which will slow things down mm. in, a, in a in a moderate fire yeah yeah, yeah. or even just maybe even perhaps beyond that right yeah myoporums myoporum good. yeah boobiella yeah boobiella and even just the prostrate ones are good for that and uh so yeah so, Arborbotus species, and and thinking thinking um, sod bushes or succulents. I mean, you can get everything from Myoporum insulare, which is quite a yeah. you know, significant shrub, all the yeah. way down to little yeah. diminutive right. uh, ground covers. So you know, yeah. there's lots yeah. of different forms of plants here. So yeah. I, I guess it's not restricting in um, in form and function either. Yeah. 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 So so Roger, did did he do a swale and then plant? On the other side of the swale. Yeah, on the on the high part of the swale. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Neil swore that that saved his house. Now, whether it did or not, um, nobody can prove that. But it's, uh, it certainly it makes uh, some sense. Yeah, and and listening to him talk about it, and he planned it that way, um, and, and it does make sense. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, I think the arrangement of plants too comes comes into the mix, doesn't it? So, oh, for sure. You, you for know, sure. If, if you haven't got that linkage and and yeah. and the, the ladders, and yeah. if you do have some mineral earth breaks, and that's all going to be of benefit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think with with these hedging type thing, he, he he had plants which tended to keep their foliage to ground level. Yes. So that you don't get this draft, you know, updraft going yes. hurtling yes. through things and that, uh, yeah. elevated fine fuels. Mm. It's, it's avoiding that, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Anyway, okay. Good All right. you. I'll see you next week, Pam. Uh, you certainly will. I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if, if you go on listening, Roger, we've got uh, John Bentley about to add into your discussion. Good on you. Okay. okay. Bye. All the best. Bye. Thanks, Roger. And as I mentioned, uh, online we have John Bentley from Melbourne, Melton Botanic Gardens. Good morning, John. Oh, good morning, everyone. Morning, John. I've um, been listening to the interesting debate on um, on saltbush, and I, I just think they're absolutely wonderful plants. And um, I'll get a plug in to say a great place to see them is at the Milton Botanic Garden. How, how do we, we know you? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we, I didn't. We, we when we first surveyed the site um, back in 2008 um, with an environmentalist and the landscape designer. We found some remnant saltbush, such as, and, and these are all ground covers, uh, nodding saltbush, ruby saltbush, and uh, atropate samibacata, the berry saltbush. Mm-hmm. And as we've removed the weeds, these are now just uh, naturally occurring across the whole site. Mm. Uh, but they're wonderful as a ground cover. And then we've added um, the Rigodia parabolica. Yep. Um, Whoever called it the fragrant salt bush, I don't know because it absolutely stinks. <laughs> <laughs> one, one old lady, when I took some, because we've got it in our sensory garden, um, but one old lady, when, when we did a talk, one said, she just said, it smells like dog poo. <laughs> and I, and I, I totally agree with her on that. Um, and then we've added in, um, in our bush foods, Atriplex cinerera, the, the one around the coast, and, and that's growing really well. Um, and so you get a different structural view. Um, and we added in the old man's salt bush. We, there were teeny little sticks of things back in late 2015 when we put them in. They got a, a bucket of water maybe, or half a bucket of water every couple of weeks over the first summer. 
and they're now sort of some of them are three meters high by four to five meters wow. across and they're just wonderful and the few we've pruned back every so often because they they just expanded so much and have got in the way mm. and we've added them into our um, bush foods garden and we're going to use them as a hedge in front of the, the citrus that we've got in there okay. and, and uh, so which one wonderful. are you using as the hedge uh, the old man salt bush and, and Roger but, but Roger got it right it's numularia yeah, triplets numularia right. I thought there was that ifolia at the end my, uh, and, um, my Latin pronunciation is not the best, I yeah, don't think. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the standout one that I found for landscaping would be Rigodia spinescens, which is sort of northern, northwest Victoria, yep. and it just grows fantastic in Milton. It's got that a, a grey, bluish colour to it, yep. and it just looks fantastic in mass in, in areas. And, and reasonably variable as well. I think there's some, a little bit of colour variation and mm. maybe some leaf size variation in, in, in that thing. But there's also been a, uh, a fair bit of hybridisation with them as well. So a lot of nurseries now um, carry different variants. Different selections, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. I just think um, it's probably something people wouldn't have thought about using a salt bush um, in landscaping and gardens. Yeah. They're pretty solid plants, are they? And if anybody wants to come out to the Melton Botanic Garden at 10 o'clock, they can have a, a free walk around. We'll give them a pick-up tool and they can pick up any blown-in rubbish or anything else and have a great day. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and do a good job for the environment that as well. a wonderful job, yes. Okay. <laughs> good on you, John. All right, thanks. Cheers. Thank you, John. Bye. Bye. Graham, we haven't had a chance to talk about your roses yet. Pam, yes, these thorny weeds. Yes, yes, yeah. let's go for it. Um, Pam, I brought in this morning a gorgeous plant of the famous Peace Rose, and it's still going and firing well. And um, the, the Peace Rose that we have in, in the nursery comes from a source where um, um, it hasn't really been affected by the virus. Okay. So it's been very vigorous. And it's got a magnificent flower and, of course, nearly 60 petals and holes on really well. And, of course, it's got a perfume. Still, the old peace rose is still very, very um, alive and well. Mm, great. And, um, if people want to read an interesting book about the peace rose, get a hold of The Love of a Rose. Mm. It's a magnificent book. And I say to people, if you want to lift in life and you're feeling a bit low, read that book. It's a great story about the breeders. Yes. How the Italian and the French families got together to breed it. And then, of course, it went to um, America uh, just before the war. They got it out before the, um, um, the other forces had got into it, and it was propagated in America and then released just after the war. And that book also covers that story. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. A, a really lovely rose and, 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 and a good perfume. And the other rose I've got, Pam, here is um, Remember Me. Okay. And, of course, as people would, would, would uh, be aware of, it's, it's a good memorial rose. But on top of that, it's a good vigorous rose, and it's got a, 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 an orange flower, which it's is very popular with people with, that are rose people at the moment. It's a very unusual shade of orange as well. Yes, yeah. It's strong, and it holds its colour, which is really important. Yes, because a lot don't. Yes. Once the yeah. weather gets really hot, they fade. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And um, the the bush itself was bred by um, uh, Alex Alex Cocker, who was a, a Scotch rose breeder. And a lot of roses that come out of Scotland were very tough. And the interesting thing about it is it's got a, a shiny leaf. And now research is being um, carried out with roses with shiny leaves and their resistance to get a mildew and black spot. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. 
which so, is always good. Yes. So um, uh, as, a, as a feature in your garden, uh, Remember Me would grow very well also as a hedge. It'll get up to, get up to about a metre and a half, maybe two metres. Um, but you can keep it trimmed back if you want to want to keep a bush. But um, the Peace Rose and, and the Remember Me are both very, very good roses. Mm, fantastic. Excellent. Virginia, you've got another plant there that we haven't managed to talk about too. Yes, and I did want to talk about it with um, John here because it's the indigofera, and I've got the decora, which is an indigofera from China and Japan, and it's a lovely shrub, not, not very high, and it has a very soft pink flower, and there is an indigofera australis as well. So it's one of those plants that you can have the native version or you can have the Chinese version or if you're like me you have both okay (laughs) why not why not exactly (laughs) and it's in that soft pink uh, colour Lizzie's just texted and so all those are going to are up including the photo of John in the studio with his grey posy (laughs) excellent they're they're all up on Facebook for those of you who can access that and um, this indigofera I think is a a wonderful plant there's it's the Chinese version is right through the Chinese garden in the botanic gardens. It does spread, but not in an unpleasant way. Okay. It'll just creep along and pop up a bit further away. And it's that really soft pink again. I've gone soft pink today. Not one of my normal colours. No, it isn't. No. <laughs> I'm not a soft pink person. <laughs> we have to have variety, Virginia. <laughs> but, but lots of soft pink, yes. So I think, I think it's good. And I think um, at the moment these things, I've found them in the wholesalers, so they should be turning up in the nurseries. Okay. Which is good because it's time to go to nurseries. Autumn's a wonderful time to plant. Mm. And I've been inspired by John and Roger. I'm going to dig and put a whole lot of salt bush around the bottom of my dam. Great idea. Yeah, just put a, a hop, do a swale, in fact. Why not? And put a salt bush above it. Yeah. Yes. The, your, your dam site would be perfect, perfect for that. Yes, yes. Yes, no, terrific. Mm. And it'll probably help stop the grass coming up the dam wall as well. Yeah. Which no, I don't want. Brilliant idea. So yeah. I'm inspired by our own show today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, talking about swales, Pam, Peter Andrews, the famous... Yes man who was much maligned for many years he he's a great believer in in retaining moisture in, in the ground and talks about swales yes and um uh the effect of of holding moisture and of course the yeoman of the yeoman plough fame uh work in the same way b- building back along the contours mm. and and um uh, providing places where the water can accumulate mm. yeah so yep. um yeah it's been around for a while but it's just but, but not many about. people do think to do it, and yeah. and it's it, it just works so well. It's, mm. You know, it's a great idea. If if you're going to establish a new garden, then seriously mm. think about putting some swales in across. Well, it's, it's what Sue has done because she's on quite a hill, and she's put in um, over the last few years a, a new front garden, and she's okay. she's built swales in to catch the water. Yep, which makes a, you know just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, Graham, you've got I think. Um, some happenings up around the Kilmore area coming up. Well, today we've got a, um, uh, a uh, seminar that's happening at Talangi, and it's on a property along the Talangi Hillsville Road. Okay. And uh, just to drive along that road is, is in itself is magnificent. Oh, There's yes, a, it is. A lot of fantastic um, uh, mountain ash growing in that area. Yes. Um, they were effect- it was affected a bit by the fires, but you wouldn't think the fires had, you know, ever got there. Um, 
and there's a biodynamic seminar happening um, at, um, uh, at Ernest and Rosie's property, and they're at um, 1907 Talangi Road. Okay. Now, people will, if you come into Talangi uh, from the Hillsville end, you come out of Talangi, that's past the um, C.J. Dennis Gardens, right? Yes. And the famous gardens. And um, the, the most noticeable thing in Talangi that you, as a, is the pub. Mm-hmm. It, yes. You know, that's, you can always find the pub in Talangi, yeah, so yeah. it's one side or the other of the pub. Yeah, a great pub right in, in, in the middle of the, of the trees. And um, there's there students there today making up what we call 500, which is a biodynamic preparation. Uh, this was begun by um, Rudolf Steiner of the Steiner School fame. Yes, okay. Right? And the, um, the 500 is actually uh, a product that's come just from cow horn manure, and they're putting the product into cow horns and burying it for probably about the next 9 to 12 months. Mm. And then that's taken out and put into um, compost heaps with the, the end um, objective in being t- to create humus in the compost heap. Okay. Okay? Yes. And the students have been doing a course at um, King Lake Community um, uh, Hall. Okay. And, um, but today um, you'll be able to see and, in, and in, um, get involved if you want to, just putting this, this cow manure into cow's horns. Yep. And they're just laid down in this special trench. Right. And also they're using um, uh, preparations from last year in a compost heap and, and they're just using um, uh, compost in, just in, in simple layers. Mm-hmm. It sounds complicated, but it's really quite simple. Okay. And okay. people can get this liquid... Yep. 500 from deers, I understand. Okay. And you can mix it up in a bucket and put it on your compost. Yep. Now, what time? You didn't mention a time, Graham. Yeah, well, they're starting. They said they're starting there, um, I think, from 10 o'clock and it'll go through till 4. Oh, okay. So quite a a long time there. Mm. Yeah, and just give out that address again. The address along the Talangi Hillsville Road is 1907. Okay. Along the Talangi Road. Okay. And it's a property that was affected by the fires. Yep. And there's some re- reclamation work that's carried on there that's b- rather remarkable. Brilliant. And, Brilliant. And a gorgeous property, beautiful property. Excellent. Yeah. Now, Virginia. We've had a an, an query from the outside line. Emma has a 20-year-old camellia hedge and she wants to know how to prune it. Now, most camellias you can prune fairly hard. Mm. I have pruned some of mine really hard and then it's taken them a couple of years to recover. So depending how she wants it to look, I would not go really hard um, to give, to, because the ones I pruned really hard have really took five years to recover, but they all recovered. Okay. They're all looking good now. But you know, you, your logic is to cut back to where you can see growth Yep. And, and let it do that, and then the next year cut back again to where you can see growth. Yep. I cut harder than that, and it did give them... A shock. Okay. I did cut them and then move them, which was even... Well, that got it even a bigger shock. <laughs> More shocking. <laughs> yes. But I think, Emma, you'll be fine if you um, treat it with a little bit of care. Excellent. And camellias are drought tough. They're they an really extraordinary... Are. They are. They're amazing. Extraordinarily tough. I mean, people don't think of camellias as something that... But my camellias are just... So, they bounce through summer after mm. summer after summer. Mm. My rhododendron looks terrible, but my camellias, I've got 22, I think. Goodness. And they just bounce through every yep. year. Yep. They're Brilliant. wonderful.
Yep, no, they're great plants. Mm. And, and you always have that wonderful glossy green yes. leaf. Mm. So they, they're a wonderful plant. And because they flower in winter, they just give the garden a lift. Don't they ever? Mm. Yep. We have run out of time for yet another week, I'm afraid, folks. But uh, the good news is we will be back again next Sunday morning. So uh, do tune in. Uh, 7.30, of course, running through till 9.15 each week. And uh, I have to say a big thank you to... Um, to both uh, Louise and Carol, who've been managing all the phones for us this morning. Also, a big thank you, of course, to Virginia and Graham, who are still in the studio. And John, if you're listening on your radio, madly trying to drive home for an occasion, big thank you to you too. But uh, as I said, we will be back again next Sunday morning, 7.30. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.